The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 16. We're going to continue as we've been studying through the book of Genesis. Somebody asked me the other day, how long are you going to be in the book of Genesis? And I wouldn't be in smart aleck, but I said, as long as it takes. Amen. <laughs> Some truths in this chapter this morning that uh, that are so applicable to our lives on a daily basis that this is probably going to be one of the most practical messages, I think, that, uh, that you might ever hear from me. And I certainly think in some ways it's one of the most practical application lessons, if you will, that, that we find in all of the Old Testament. It's this time where God is had already promised to Abraham that he would give him an heir, a son, was going to be promised. And, of course, we know that Abraham and Sarah were beyond childbearing age, and it was going to be a miraculous thing at best, right, that if God were going to fulfill this promise that he had made to Abraham. Abraham was very clear, and he knew what God's will was. God had spoken to him and told him, Abraham, I'm going to give you an heir, and from that heir, from that son that's going to be born, you'll have multitudes of descendants so great that if you could count the stars in the sky, you wouldn't be able to, it won't compare to the air that's going to come. If you could count the grains of sand on the seashore, you're inheritance is going to be greater than all of that. So God had, had given him that promise, and Abraham knew his will. And I was thinking about this, that for most of us, most of us, especially after we've known the Lord for some time, we generally know the general specific will of God, right? It doesn't take a rocket science to, to scientists to figure out. Those, those things that I'm talking about is we know that it's God's will that we honor Him. We know that it's God's will that we worship Him. You know that, that it's God's will that we follow Him and obey Him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You don't have to question that. We do question sometimes trying to determine those things that we're seeking the Lord for specific guidance in our life, but that's not what we're talking about this morning. God had given to Abraham a promise that was ironclad. In other words, God had decreed, Abraham, this is going to happen. And when God decrees that something is going to happen, guess what? We can take it to the bank because we know that it's going to happen, right? Those things that, that God decrees in that, there is absolutely nothing that's going to come in the way of thwarting the, the determined will of God. I think of several stories in Scripture when I, when I think about this. One that, that comes to mind is when, when uh, God sent His Son. We sang of that in the first song this morning. God had promised all the way back in the garden that he would send a deliverer, a Messiah, as it would later be unfolded, that would redeem lost mankind from their sin. And the enemy tried everything he could do to try to keep that from happening, right? But Paul tells us in Galatians that in the fullness of time, that just at the right time, not a day earlier, not a day later, that God was going to send a son. Herod tried to circumvent that, right? 
God saw a way that Jesus and Mary and Joseph would go to Egypt to escape the killing of the children. The enemy tried to thwart Jesus when he was driven by the Holy Spirit into the desert to be tempted in the wilderness for 40 days by Satan. Satan tried to derail God's plan, and Satan thought he had won when Jesus went to the cross, but he didn't understand God's ways. Amen? You see, what I struggle with mostly is not necessarily knowing God's determined will, but what I struggle with and what we struggle with mostly, I think, is probably the way in which God is going to fulfill that promise in His will or the timing of the fulfillment of that. See, we generally know the right thing to do. But it's very difficult, and where I struggle is determining how's the right way to do the right thing. Or when is the right time to do the right thing? Those things that I, that I know are promises of God and things that God has maybe decreed in my life. I can remember 37 years ago um, when Sandy and I, after we'd come to, to know Christ, I had a real sense in my life that, that I, I felt as though God was calling me or had called me into ministry. Now, somebody might say, well, yeah, He's called all of us to ministry. But in my life, I, particularly, I thought that God had called me to vocational ministry. And I had the idea that I knew that, and so after I had finished school where we were there in San Diego, I said, well, God's called me to ministry, so it's time for me to get a job in ministry. And I took a position with Youth for Christ in San Diego. Can you imagine that? Well, I knew that God had called me, and so it seemed very plausible if God's called me, then you, you'd look for a job. And, and I contacted a friend that was very close with the ministry, and he used his influence to help open a position there for me. And I lasted a miserable three months in that role. Didn't know what to do. Had a month-old baby that had been born, and so one day I'm watching Roland and Martin's bass fishing show while I'm in San Diego. Remember that? And I turned to my wife, and I said, we're going back to Georgia. I feel like I've been led by Roland Martin bass fishing. Can I tell you I have not been fishing once in 37 years? I left there. Came to Georgia, went to work with my tools as an electrician, and man's got to work to eat, right? Somebody said amen to that. If you don't work, you don't what? And we began seeking the Lord and waiting on God, and, and I had really hoped that the church where we were in San Diego would call me into an intern, internship program that they had of training pastors. But it wasn't happening fast enough. I mean, I thought, my goodness, God's called me to ministry. The church doesn't know what they're missing out on, right? <laughs> so we loaded up a Hertz rental truck with everything we owned, strapped my daughter, one-month-old daughter, between the seats on top of a milk crate, drove across country and came to Georgia. Can I tell you, I was more miserable than I could have ever imagined being. 
because I knew that God had called me. And, and here I find myself, I'm, I'm working with my tools, and things just aren't happening fast enough. I got a call from a mutual friend in the church back in San Diego, and I said, man, uh, the pastor, Mike, today had announced to, this, to the staff that he was going to be bringing you and a couple of other guys on in an internship at the church, and I thought I had jumped in bed with Hagar. trying to do things my way in my timing rather than waiting on God in His way and His timing to fulfill His purposes in what I believed was a promise in my life in that day. Well, I'll share that story with you this morning because Abraham kind of made the same decision that I made 37 years ago. Let's read the passage, chapter 16. Now, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant that it may uh, may be that she shall obtain, that you might obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. No comments there, right? So after Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, his servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. Now, Hagar probably joined with Abraham and the rest of his community while they were in Egypt there when they had fled to Egypt trying to, trying to find provision during the famine. She had become the servant there. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Can you imagine the scene? Here Abraham is with Sarah. Sarah's beyond years, and they've been talking about this promise that God had given to them. God's going to do this in our life. God's going to give me a child even though I am past age-bearing years, but I'm going to find a way for God to do that in my way, not waiting on God's way, and I'm going to give Hagar to Abraham. And by the way, it was legal in that day to do that. It was customary in that land. But can I say that everything that is legal is not morally right? She looks at Sarah, who had been bragging all this time, and she looks at Sarah in contempt. Can you, can you picture the scene there? Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me on you, I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked at me, she looked at me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. 
And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord, who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Ber Lahari. It goes, it, it lies between Kadesh and Barad. And Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abram called the name of his son who Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar was born to Ishmael, when Ishmael was born to Abram. Father, let's pray. Father, I pray that, God, you give clarity this morning. God, I I confess my mind is kind of a fog today, God. Lord, I, I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to each one of our hearts. Lord, where we are today in these practical matters of knowing, and God, not only knowing, but obeying and following your way and your time in your will. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You see, God had already made a promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that he would give him a large inheritance. And also in chapter 15, he reiterated that. And Abram had a choice in the matter. And Abraham's choice was, am I going to do this God's way or am I going to do it man's way or my way? You see, each and every one of us have a choice and many choices we make on a daily basis. Am I going to walk in faith in God's way or am I going to take matters into my own hands and try to help out God by doing it my way? We all face these kind of decisions. God had promised, God had prescribed a way that he was going to bring about this child. This is not the first time that Abraham tried to fulfill this promise that God had made to him. If you remember a couple of weeks ago when Anton was going through chapter 15, we saw that that Abram had his his servant, that his handman, that he was going to try to talk God into allowing him to be his heir because Abraham knew that in the physical, in the natural realm, this was never going to happen, and Abraham was eager to fulfill God's will. One of the things that I find in this chapter is that adverse consequences will always result when we try to help God fulfill His promises. It's a very practical things that I want to point out that, that we see in this passage that we can apply in our lives when we know the will of God, when we know a promise that God has made to us. Are we going to do it God's way or are we going to try to do it our way? The first one is this. We see that Abraham and Sarah both uh, impatiently looked at their circumstances without faith. And we can't blame them really, right? Because the circumstance was is that that Sarah's womb really had been closed up. She no longer had the ability to bear children. And in the natural way, in the circumstances that she and Abraham saw, there was no way that in the natural they could have this child that God had promised. And so they got the idea that you and I often get in that we have to help God out with his plans as if he needs help from you or me, right? They got tired of waiting. 
I mean, it had been years since God had promised Abraham, and, and the, the, the biological clock was ticking, and it had already ticked out. And now that that's gone, let's find a way, because in the natural, I can't see that happening. Can I remind you that we don't serve a God who operates solely in the natural? God operates in the supernatural. He is able to do things beyond, way beyond what we might be able to reason that he can do. You see, the plausibility in the natural realm is that there's no way that this is going to happen. God, why are you taking so long? God, you promised me this, and I'm impatient, and I want it to happen now. We live in a microwave culture, right? That we somehow believe that it's got to happen right now, and if it doesn't happen right now, then God's gone to sleep or God's forgotten. But can I remind you that God operates outside of our time? As a matter of fact, the time as we know it was created by God when He existed in eternity. We didn't have time until God put the moon and the stars and the sun in the sky. And so God created time, and God does not operate on your time or my time. Psalm 27 verse 14 reminds us this, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. The second thing that I find that Abraham and Sarah did in this passage is is that they ignored the promise of God. Look at the promise that was made in verse 4 of chapter 15. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man, talking about Eleazar, will, will not be your heir, but your very own son shall be your heir. And when they failed to wait on God, when, when they failed to hold on to the promise of God, they took matters into their own hands, and we find that they operated in the flesh rather than operating in the Spirit of God. We do that too, don't we? We have a promise that God has made, and we begin to determine in our own way and in our own abilities how we're going to bring that to pass. We don't want to make the same mistake that Abraham and Sarah did. The third thing I see relates very much to that is that they they initiated natural ways to make God's will happen. Initiated natural ways to make God's will happen. You see, it made perfect sense to, to use Hagar. Again, by the way, I said it was legal in the land. You could do that. But rather than following God's way, they determined that they were going to fulfill God's promise by using natural abilities in their flesh to bring about God's plan. I've said this before. Flesh produces what? Flesh. You see, we can do a lot of things in the flesh. We can do a lot of things in the natural 
But when God is left out of the equation, we get the results of things being done in the natural, and they're almost always devastating, and oftentimes we may accomplish the same thing, but it will not have the same blessings that God intended to have in that if we wait on God to move. I was thinking this next Tuesday, our staff is going to be meeting, and we're going to be calendaring out the year ahead. And I reminded the staff, and I'll remind them again today, and I'll remind them again Tuesday, we cannot just figure that we go into an annual planning and do the things we've always done in the natural way. Amen? That we miss God, and we don't include God in that, because sometimes God desires to do things differently in a different way than what we thought He did last year or 10 years ago, and we say, well, it's always worked that way, so let's keep doing it that way. But you see, God doesn't operate in that way. God desires to bring about His will and empower that by His Spirit so that the result of those things are spiritual, not of the flesh. Psalm 33, verses 20 and 21 says this, Our soul soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. The fourth thing that I find in this is that oftentimes when we try to do it our way rather than God's way and wait on God to fulfill His promises, is that we can manipulate people and or circumstances to bring about God's will. It can be a spiritual promise. It can be a great ministry promise. But when we circumvent God and His work in it, what we find ourselves doing is manipulating circumstances, and worse than that, we find ourselves manipulating people to try to bring about God's will and His plan. I've seen it so many times in ministry in particular. We, we might think that this is what God has promised, and, but God's taking too long, and it's got to be in the immediate right now. And so we begin to manipulate people, try to maneuver people, try to maneuver circumstances rather than waiting on God to fulfill that which only He can do. Oftentimes, as well, we can have a tendency to go to the world for their solution rather than God's solution. You ever found yourself short on cash? Rather than waiting on God and His provision, we begin to scheme and look, well, how can I get the money out there? And the adverse consequence of that is we normally pay about 21% interest on it and we're indebted to it for the rest of our lives. Rather than waiting on God and trusting in God, we have a tendency oftentimes to go to ways or to go to people, go to places outside of God to wait for His will to be met. Psalm 130, David is writing a song that's a song of ascent, but it's in a very stressful time in the nation of Israel. We don't know exactly the circumstances that are there. But evidently from the writing and the reading of this psalm, we can recognize and realize that David is in great distress. The nation is in great distress. 
And there were a lot of things that were at the disposal of the king that he could have used in order to make that stress go away or that situation go away. But David cries out in Psalm 130, verses 5 and 6, where he says, I wait on the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Now, to understand what David's saying at the last part of that verse, we have to understand what it is to be a watchman in that midnight hour where you're standing watch and nobody else is around and you're getting sleepy, you're getting tired, and you cannot wait for the morning so the watch changes and somebody else comes to relieve you. Any veterans that have stood the mid-watch? Yeah. You pace as much as you can. You just can't wait for somebody, and there's that longing, and that's what David says. As a watchman waits to be relieved in the morning, so we are going to wait on the Lord because I know there'll be a relief in it, but the best way is if God brings it about. Number five is this, and I've already kind of spoken to this, but there inevitably, any time that we try to do it our way rather than God's ways, Adverse consequences will almost always be the result. You see, we may, we may be able to accomplish that, again, but it will not be in the way that God wants to accomplish it in blessing. One of the greatest mistakes that I make oftentimes is not keeping in step with the Spirit, but thinking I've done this before, I've done it a thousand times, I can do it the same way again. Zach reminded us this morning as the worship team was gathering to pray, as we always do on Sunday morning, he reminded us that, that if we're not careful, that our weekly routine in worship will become just that. We can rehearse the songs, we can have it right, we can have all the details right, and if we're not careful, we leave out or move on a way, in a way that God is not wanting to move. And you know what? We can go for decades just having church the way we've always had church. You and I get into the same routines, don't we? I get up Sunday morning, I get dressed. I get in my car, I go to church, I say hey to the same folks in my Sunday school class, I say hey to the same people in the, in the, uh, in the auditorium, in the foyer. I come into the auditorium, I know the sequence of the service, but if they ever change it, God, for, God help us, right? And we leave and it's almost as if we didn't even meet God. You know why we don't meet God? It's because we don't expect to meet God. You see, it's, it's, our, it's our tendency to, to kind of always do the same thing the same way every time. Not realizing that God moves in different ways than we could ever expect Him or know that He wants to move. When we have this idea that there, that there are in, inevitable consequences, we're reminded that in Galatians chapter 5, when, when Paul is speaking of the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruits that he says that we have when we, when we are in the Spirit is that we have the fruit of patience. We don't have patience, do we? I don't. 
I want it now. And doggone it, God's given me a brain, and I can figure out how to get it now. Patience, that word patience means to suffer long. And sometimes circumstances are in our, are, can come in our lives that, that we are suffering, and we're suffering long, and if we're not careful, we'll try to find a way to fix it without waiting on God and seeing God move in those circumstances. Conflict. We look in the story. As a result of Abraham and Sarah trying to do it their way rather than God's way, it definitely caused some strife between Abraham and Sarah, right? I mean, whose idea was it to bring Hagar to Abraham? Sarah's idea. But after Hagar had conceived, Sarah, Abraham, let God judge between me and you, right? The fact is, both of them were at fault. Both of them took another way rather than God's way. And I would almost say that Abraham was probably more responsible for Sarah because he had been the one that God had given the promise to originally, and he was the husband. He caved in and went along. We see later that even right after Ishmael is born, there is consternation or there's conflict between Sarah and Hagar. Hagar's walking around with a little belly bump, and she looks with contempt at Sarah. That's not good. We find later, I think around chapter 21, that after the promised son is born, Isaac is born, and, and he's being circumcised at the age of 13, that, that Ishmael begins to look at him with consternation as well. And can I say thousands of years later, that which is happening today in Israel on the Gaza Strip is a direct consequence of Abraham not waiting on God but doing it his way. You see, sometimes the consequences may not be that severe. Sometimes we may not even realize that there's adverse consequences. But what we fail to recognize is that when we wait on God and we do it God's way, there's a blessing and there's a bliss that comes with that that can come no other way. And if we just waited, oh, how much more God might have done. What if they had waited? What if Abraham and, and Sarah had waited? I mean, do we really believe that Romans 8.28 thing? That God works all things together for good in the lives of those who love Him and are called according to His Word. It's just sometimes I think I act in my own way, in my own efforts, because I, I, I think, you know what, I'm not quite sure that if this thing gets messed up or it doesn't happen when I think that it's going to happen, then blessings won't come from it. God works all things together for those who love Him and are called according to His Word. For some reason, God seems to work through human history. And can I tell you that even though Abraham had gone outside of God's way, God's promises and His blessings still came. 
Some may have the idea that I did after I had moved from California here. I've jumped in bed with Hagar, and, and, and it's never going to be rectified. Can I tell you that, that God's plans and His purposes, while we may delay them, while we may take a sidetrack, the sovereignty of God, God will move in such a way that He will bring about His will. I can remember one Sunday morning after Bruce Wilkinson, the guy who wrote Walk Through the Bible, was preaching that Sunday morning. He was a member of the church where we were at Glenwood Hills Baptist Church in Lithonia. And he preached a message on the sovereignty of God. And, and I, had, I was lamenting the fact that I had jumped in bed with Hagar and I had left California and I thought I'd miss God's will and there was never any hope. And I counseled with Bruce. He took about 30 minutes with me after the service to counsel with me. And the first question Bruce asked me, he said, do you believe that God is sovereign? I said, yeah, I believe God's sovereign. He said, no, you don't. You need to get down in your face right now and repent probably some of the best counsel I ever got in my life. And I got on my face that morning and I repented to God because I wasn't trusting His sovereignty. Some of us this morning have made decisions and made choices that, yes, were your way and not God's way, but can I give you hope this morning that God is a God of turning circumstances around. God is a God of bringing circumstances in line that you cannot mess up the will of God when it's been determined in your life and in my life. When we close this morning, you may be sitting there and you're thinking of there's something that you did or something that you didn't do, and you're living in remorse. I want you to know this morning that, that God can turn that around. That if we place our trust and our hope in Him, knowing that God, and we admit God, yes, Lord, I did that. I jumped in bed with Hagar. But God, I believe that you can take everything, even stupid, boneheaded decisions that I make. Do you make stupid, boneheaded decisions? I do. I don't know about you. But if we acknowledge those to God, in repentance, God will come in and God can change that circumstance in your life. You see, sometimes we get on cruise control and just say, you know, we did it that way last year. I did it that way the time before, and so let's just keep going. A point in case. Do you remember when David went against the Philistines the first time? And, and God told David, David, I want you to go around. I want you to sneak around the back of the encampment. I want you to surprise them, and you'll surely have defeat. So David does what God tells him to do. He goes around the back of the Philistine encampment. They, they raid the, the place where they were, and David slays them all. And so sometime later, the Philistines are there again. And David, rather than inquiring of the Lord, he says, you know what? I did it that way the last time, so I'm going to do it the same way the next time. You know what happened, right? David got defeated until he said, hey, God, what do you want me to do? And God said, this time I want you to go to a frontal attack. I find it happening in churches all the time as well that we do things the same way 
our committees meet, our teams meet. We, we always do the same thing. But we got to understand is that we, we can get in the, in operating in the natural and just continue to do the same things over and over and over and over and over. But there's something else that God wants to intervene in and say, listen, I know that's worked before, but not in this case. Back to that Galatians 5 passage where the fruit of the Spirit is patience. Preceding that, Paul says, keep in step with the Spirit. And here's the key. When he says keep in step with the Spirit, what he's saying is don't get ahead of the Spirit. Don't get behind the Spirit, but keep in step with the Spirit. You see, we're so prone to doing things in the natural and by our flesh. Sometimes I think we give lip service to the Holy Spirit and His guidance and His direction in our personal lives as well as our corporate church life. We've got to listen to the Spirit of God. In closing, let me just make this statement. God's will done God's way is always the best way. God's will done God's way is always the best way. The hymn came to my mind this morning as I was praying to, over the message. It's an old hymn, Standing on the Promises. Let me read to you the words. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages, let His praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. Standing. Standing. Standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing. Standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. The next verse says this, standing on the promises I, listening every moment to the, resting in my Savior as my, Standing on the promises of God. Let's stand and close. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. Let's sing that first verse. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let His praises ring. Standing on the promises of God, standing, standing, Standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing, standing.
God's way or our way? We can stand on His promises. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.